cream on the coffee bar. Uh, and we've got to-go cups as well. So grab some before you leave. Uh, be sure to do that today. And feel free to stick around if you want uh, to celebrate Christmas if you want to. Or if you need to get out of here, get ready to pack your bags and go tomorrow, wherever you're going to go and spend Christmas, uh, that's okay too. It's finally here. Christmas weekend, once again, uh, I'm honored to give this message, and uh, if you're not familiar with who I am, I'm not the guy that's usually up here. Uh, Bobby's traveling to Canada, he's there now with uh, family, and uh, I'm Brian, I'm the youth minister here, and I've been given the privilege to speak for the past two weekends. We're in a part, a two-part miniseries called Unexpected Christmas, and last week, if you missed last week, we talked about how all of us have this thing within us, uh, it's innate and it's this assumption that there are random events that happen in life and everything happens for a reason or things work out, you know, to our benefit eventually in the end because God is the one writing the story. God is the one that sees things through. God is a overwhelming, powerful God that created the universe and he has a plan for your life. We talked about that last week and he and Jesus is the son of God and we looked at the story that the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to have a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he's going to grow up and be the son of God. And we left last weekend with that thought that God has a plan for all of us. Say plan. God has a plan for all of us. We have a purpose, and sometimes we find it immediately. Sometimes it takes us a little bit of time. But at Christmas, we're reminded that life is not as random as it seems, that there is a story being written. And the first Christmas really changed everything, because Jesus changes everything. Amen? Amen. Today we're going to look further into this Christmas story a little bit. And I told you last weekend, gave a little bit of a teaser, this is not a typical Christmas message. You might think where I'm going in the Bible with a typical Christmas story, you're wrong. I'm going to a different place. And it's, a, it's going to be a good series. I'm, I'm excited for this message today. Uh, we're going to dig into Micah chapter 5. First, um, And if you read the Christmas story in the New Testament, there is a statement that is used in this prophecy that actually comes from Micah. Matthew doesn't quote the whole thing, but we're going to look at this prophecy. And I'm going to do something a little traditional. I'm going to ask if you're able, would you please stand as we read this message together? Micah 5, chapter 2, says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all of the people of Judah. Yet a ruler from Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. You may be seated. Today's message is called the family tree. And we're not talking about a Christmas tree. We're talking about family. And real quick, show of hands, how many of you say you might know some of your family tree pretty well. Anyone into like Ancestry.com or look back at old family photos and see, see photos of old family members, or maybe you heard stories of your family tree. I come from a big family tree. So on my mother's side, my mother's maiden name is Straub. You may have heard that name before. It's a well-known name in Harrison County for many different reasons. <laughs> but my mother was one of seven children. Uh, two of my uncles have passed, uh, but I'm very fortunate to have multiple aunts and uncles and cousins uh, to still gather with uh, throughout the year and especially at the holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas and things like that. Now, my dad's side is also quite large, 
Um, in case you didn't know, my last name is Martinez, and I know I look white as a ghost. I am half Hispanic, believe it or not. But there are a lot of Martinez's in the world, and we're all related somehow, I believe. My dad is one of 13 children, uh, 12 living right now. One died shortly after birth, I believe is how the story goes. Lots of aunts and uncles, uh, six aunts, so six sisters and seven brothers. Most of them live here in the U.S. I would say most of the brothers do. All of the sisters live in central Mexico still. And I'm very fortunate to be able to experience both sides of Mexican and American culture. Fortunate enough to meet both sets of grandmothers. Both my grandmothers were God-fearing women. Both knew how to cook. And uh, many of you may know Mary Lou Straub, uh, which is my mom's mother. My aunt's here tonight, too. Her mother as well. Uh, she knew how to make a good biscuit. And when I get to heaven, I'm excited to get that biscuit again. Amen? Amen. She knew how to cook any home-cooked meal, really. Uh, most of you did not get to meet my abuela, Luz. And uh, Luz knew how to make some good sweet bread. And those are my grandparents for my grandmothers. My maternal grandfather, Henry Straub, he passed away before I was born. I did not get the chance to meet him. I did get the chance to meet my dad's dad, my paternal grandfather, my abuelo, Adrian. And he was a jokester, a prankster, always trying to make people laugh. And let me just share with you, one of the greatest moments of my life, one of the greatest accomplishments, and I think for anyone would say that they were able to get through school and to graduate college. That was a big milestone for me, first to do it in my immediate family. It's very fulfilling for me. It was more fulfilling when my grandparents from Mexico were there that day. It was very cool. They came from, the, from central Mexico, flew in to watch me walk across the stage. One of the greatest moments of my life. And they're both passed on now, and uh, we'll get to meet them in heaven again one day. We have that promise. Amen? Amen. That's a great promise to have. My Pepaw Henry, I've only heard stories. I've heard he was a hard worker. Uh, he grew up on the farm, and he was a very dangerous card player, specifically Euchre. And you never turn down a jack. Amen? Amen? I could go on and on about my family, and I'm sure that you could too. But when we look at the Christmas story, we usually see how Mary, a virgin, gave birth to a son named Jesus. And there was a stepfather named Joseph, and we know that the shepherds saw the star, and they, they saw the angels, and the wise men were following the star. We know the whole story already. That's why you're here. That's why most people gather in churches on Christmas weekend. And we assume that Mary and Joseph have a decent, good-looking family tree. But there is a truth that we need to recognize at Christmas. Christmas looks better from a distance. Christmas looks better from a distance. I don't think there was anyone that thought the first Christmas was very charming with the birth of Christ. People can do the math. She's pregnant, but I'm not the father. <laughs> it's like an episode of Mario or Jerry Springer or something. It doesn't add up. And the wise men are running from their life, running for their life from Herod, who's on this killing spree of young babies trying to kill this new king. And an angel comes to Joseph and says, because of all of this happening, you need to flee from here and go to Egypt. And there's stories of questioning, stories of danger, that I'm sure these experiences stayed with Jesus and Mary and Joseph all throughout their life until they died. 
And when we come to tell the story in Luke chapter 2 and in Matthew chapter 2, we assume that's the story because the Christmas story looks better from a distance. But the story actually begins in Matthew chapter 1. This isn't on the screen, but this is how it opens in the New Testament. This is a record of ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, which is his family tree. Anyone ever tried to do the Bible in a year? Read the whole Bible in a year. Anyone ever tried to do it? Has anyone ever completed it? Okay, if you did it, you may have gotten to Matthew and said, that's a lot of names that I don't know how to pronounce. And it's true. There are a lot of names. But it's not just looking at a phone book. It's not just looking at a set of names and recognizing that these people's names are spelled differently. There's a line of genealogy that had real people that had real stories, and each person was part of God's plan leading up generation after generation to Jesus. And we want to make that clear here before I dive in and talk about this genealogy. Now, I'm going to save a lot of time. I'm not reading the entire genealogy. I'm not going to do that for you. But we will skip down to verse 17. All of those listed above include 14 generations, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. 42 total generations with a list in succession, and there's a reason we skipped all of those names. This is Jesus' family tree. This is his bloodline, generation after generation. So why do we need to know about that? Because genealogies in Jesus' time in the Jewish culture was a really big deal. These ancestry accounts were reminders of a family's heritage and how far that God has brought them out of their circumstances, out of their troubles and trials, generation after generation, and your bloodline was key. And it was kind of like a resume, it was kind of like a portfolio, And it would open doors for you. You could get a good job, but just because of your bloodline, you could get into the right conversation. And your ancestry would actually qualify you or disqualify you from doing certain things. And so in the case of Jesus, the Messiah, we we look at this and he's going to be the ruler over everybody. That was what the Messiah was supposed to do. He was supposed to cure everything. He was supposed to be this everlasting king that his kingdom would never end. But Jesus saves the world. And as a result, there's no more glitches in life like in a video game. There's no more sin. There's no more cancer. There's no more crime. There's no more disease, no more death. The former things have passed away. That's what the Messiah is all about. And so this is a big deal. And if you look back at Scripture, there's about 700 prophecies in the Old Testament that had to be true in order for Jesus to prove that he was really the Messiah. Christ had to be from Bethlehem. He had to come from the family line of King David. And if he wasn't, the Jewish would consider this a false prophecy. So genealogy is key. But there's a little bit of a twist here. Matthew doesn't go back to David. He goes all the way back to Abraham. Luke 3 also mentions the family tree, going all the way back to Adam, the first man that God created. And so if the Messiah only had to be proven to come from the line of David, and we stop there, 
why does Matthew and Luke go a step further back to Adam when he could have just stopped? And the truth is that there are some branches in Jesus' family tree that are a little twisted. And God doesn't hide it. In fact, he flaunts it. Because if we go farther back, if we go back into Jesus' family tree, some would question that, is this guy really the Messiah? Not only was a resume, like a family tree, portrait, portfolio kind of thing, it was curated as creatively as one would be in our day. And all of us have things on our resume that we don't want our boss to see. That one job that you stormed out of, that you didn't show up, that you were late, We put our best foot forward, and then we leave the things out on our resume that we don't really want people to see. Now, I'm not saying names, but I think all of us have a few family members in our tree that we don't want to claim either. Amen? Don't say amen too loud, y'all. God's here. He's hearing you. But if we jump down to verse 5, we notice a familiar name. Matthew 1, verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now Rahab makes it into the family tree. And why is that peculiar? Well, first off, and not to offend anyone, but she was a woman. And in this day and age, women were looked down upon. They were looked as the lesser. The men was the head of the household. Things are totally different in today's world. Totally different. But no one in the ancient world would have included a woman in the family tree. But Jesus came to change the paradigm. He came to change what we considered normal and flipped it upside down. There was no more degrading women. There was no difference between Jew and Gentile, slave or free. And second, and I'll just cut right to it, Rahab was not just a woman. She was a prostitute. And so Rahab is introduced to us in Joshua as Rahab the harlot. And if you were the one recording this genealogy, you wouldn't have included a prostitute. Yeah, my grandma, her job was to be a prostitute. You wouldn't include that in your family tree. We also get the mention of Judah and Tamar, uh, Perez and Zerah. This is a scandal that you might want to watch on Hulu or Netflix, that kind of a TV show. Judah was Tamar's father-in-law, and Judah was tricked into thinking that Tamar was a prostitute, and they end up hooking up. And why would you put that into the family tree? Why can't you just go to the line of David? And then we get to David, then we, the father of Solomon. You have to be related to him to get to the throne, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, and David had an affair with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, And so there's this love triangle that's also included in this family tree. And David, not only did he have this affair, but he actually killed Uriah in battle, not by sword, but he planned it out to where Uriah would push forward and have no reinforcements and he would die in battle. And so you look at Jesus' family tree. Jesus, the Son of God, the one that we celebrate at Christmas time, the one that does everything at the cross, He dies for the world. He rises three days later. He did not sin. Yet in his family tree, we look at prostitution and scandal and murder. And at the top of the tree, we look at idolatry. 
And we've mentioned two people groups who weren't even Jews. We mentioned Ruth, a Moabite, and a Canaanite Rahab who lived in Jericho that were sworn enemies of the Jews. And Matthew is mentioning that he's not pure-blooded. And no Jew would ever put that on the flagpole for everyone to see. And remember, humanity is lost because of a tree. I want to make that clear too. We are lost because of a tree, the tree that sat in the Garden of Eden in the very beginning. I got to tell you this. CNN once reported a woman in Australia that had a fake tree, came downstairs Christmas morning to admire the tree, have a cup of coffee before everyone is awake, kids are asleep. She was appreciating the tree, the ornaments, drew close to the tree, looking ornament after ornament until she saw something. Now, most of you might be thinking Christmas vacation and the squirrel pops out. How about a snake? A tiger snake. The most dangerous, venomous, poisonous snake in Australia, sitting in the fake tree in the house. Now, what does that remind you of? Genesis 3, 4 says, you won't die, the serpent said to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced, and she saw that the tree was beautiful, its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. And so she took some of the fruit and ate it, and she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. Eve was deceived, Adam went along with it, just like most men do, and on the spot, they died. Now hold on a second, preacher. You tell me that they died. They actually lived more years. Yeah, they did, but they died spiritually. They had their spirit was dead right there. And in that moment, humanity was lost and in desperate need of a savior. Adrian Rogers in his book Kingdom Authority says Adam was very much like a Christmas tree cut off from its roots brought into the house and decorated, and in some ways it may look better in the house than in the wild. But what happened when it was cut from the source of life will eventually show sometime after New Year's. And the truth of the matter is that it was often called a living tree, but it was dead when it was cut off from the source of life. And so is the same with man. And so we're separated by God, because of sin, and sin brings death, disconnecting us from God. And so there's this great divide. If you can imagine a canyon where we're on one side and God is on the other, and there's this giant gap, and we don't have anything man-made to be able to bridge that gap. We were banished from the garden. And ever since then, we've been trying to get back. And so they began to die, not immediately, but just like a living Christmas tree in your living room, eventually it's going to die because it was cut off from its roots. And so there's this longing within us, there's a groaning for the things that don't satisfy. Sure, I'll get my money, I'll get my nice car, I've got this nice paying job, I've got the girl of my dreams, but there's still this longing and this loneliness and this sense that the world is not enough. And so the Bible tells us that we are created to know God 
and we're disconnected from him, and there will always be something missing. And so here's the problem. We're dead spiritually. We're dying physically. That is the truth. We have different styles of clothing. We have hobbies. We have likes and dislikes. But all of us are on a process that leads to a grave. That's where we're all going to go one day. And it could be cancer. It could be a car accident. It could be a stroke. It could be natural causes. But the only thing certain about this life that we're living on this earth is that one day there will be an end. And if you're not careful, you could remain broken and stuck and separated from God. And that's not what God wants for you. And that's why the moment after Eve ate the apple, he dealt out consequences to the serpent. Verse 14 in Genesis 3 says, Because you've done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now the head wound is much more serious. Because God promises the serpent, I'm going to break you. And Christmas is when he made good on that promise by sending Jesus to earth. Because the truth is, God's gift didn't go under the tree. It went on the tree. When God sent his son, born of a virgin, born into the world, this broken world, born under a law that was flawed, he sent him at the perfect time. Now, God's present to you this Christmas is not a something, but it is a someone. And that's the power of Christmas, that Jesus, he dies on the cross, he pays the penalty for our sins. He came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't just die for you, he died as if it were you. And when he hung on that cross, Isaiah 53 says that he took on himself the sins of the world. And he suffered as if he personally committed the sins that we make. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Christmas is about Jesus. Dying on a cross, coming to this earth. But he didn't just die. That's not where the story ends. He rose on the third day and eventually ascended into heaven. And he's knocking at the door of your heart. And if you let him in, he can save you. He can change you in just a moment of time. And I don't care what you've done. I don't care what kind of pain you're going through. Jesus says, I've entered into your shame. If you're an idolater, if you're a stealer, if you're a thief, if you're just a sinner that's in need of a Savior, Jesus says, I've died for those sins so that you can be healed. Christmas is really for all people. It's for shepherds. It's for wise men. It's for single mothers. And if we look at the family tree on his father's side, it's very short. John 1.1 says, In the beginning... The Word already existed, and the Word was with God, and the Word 
was God. And this is a hard thing to wrap your mind around, that God became human. And he wasn't just human, he was also a divine being. And so he could take the hand of sinful humanity, and he could also take the hand of his father. And he could bring back that connection that was lost. He could bridge that gap where we're on one side and God is on the other. And Jesus is not a way to get to heaven. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And because of him, the only one who has been fully God and fully human at the same time, because of him, we are saved. Now, as most of you know, I'm a guitarist, and I enjoy music a lot. And like I said last week, and I started listening to Christmas music in October, committed that sin. And as I was fumbling through Christmas songs, I'm always looking for new ones. I like, you know, renditions of classics. Um, my favorite one right now, just putting this out there, this is totally off topic. Um, anyone know Philadelphia Eagles football team? Yeah, they have a Christmas album out. <laughs> Uh, the offensive linemen, they're called the Philly Specials. Go look them up. White Christmas is really good by them. But I also saw another song by Lexington's own Ann Wilson. And the lyrics go something like this. The choir is singing carols. Bells are ringing and streets are bright. It's Christmas all around me, so why is Christmas hard to find? The December snow is falling down like I'm to my knees. And I could use some hope right now, because right now hope is hard to see. Help me still believe. For God so loved this broken world that he sent his only son to a carpenter and to a teenage girl to show us all his love. He left his home in heaven to make heaven my home. My Emmanuel is with me, and I'll never be alone. Down here, my heart can't find much to believe in, but I still believe in Christmas. Amen? I don't know what you got planned this weekend. Uh, I'm hosting Christmas this year. Uh, I did it last year. It's really fun family and friends at my house, and we're going to have gifts, we're going to have presents, we're going to have games to play, food to eat, and I'm sure that a lot of you are going to do similar things. Maybe some of you dread this time of year, like we've talked about the last few weeks, and it's a hard time without that one loved one or friend, or maybe you don't feel as joyful as you could be. And so whatever you're going through, whatever you have planned over these next few days, whether Santa comes to visit your house or not, let's not lose sight of what Christmas really is about. It's not about a baby born in Bethlehem. It's about a God that stepped into our story because he loved us. The first Christmas changed everything. Because Jesus changes everything. Christmas really is for everyone. It's not just a holiday that we celebrate, but it's a rescue mission that we remember. 
Here in just a second, we are going to take communion. If you are at home, uh, we encourage you to get whatever you've got available. It could be a Cheez-It, it could be an actual cracker, it could be a piece of bread. And it could be grape juice, a bottle of water, it could be a Mountain Dew. As long as you have something to take that resembles the body and the blood of Jesus, we invite you at home to do that with us right now. And if you're in person, uh, we're going to pass these plates. And they're double stacked. There's a cracker on the bottom, and there's a cup on the top. Feel free. Say a little Christmas prayer if you'd like. Take that cracker and then hold that cup of juice, and we will take that together as a family. I challenge you this Christmas, if, you, if you've got a Bible at home, and if you don't have one, please see me. We've got Bibles on hand, and no one should not have a Bible. If you were to go back and read all of Matthew chapter 1, you would see a bunch of names, like I said, that are hard to pronounce, some that we recognize, some that we have never heard of. But at the end of the genealogy, we see this line. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And every line before was leading up to this moment. Every name was building up to Jesus. Every generation was bracing for Jesus. And if you go back and look at these stories of those before him, you'll see countless stories, big and small, lessons learned, teaching us about God's power, about God's faithfulness. But when we get to Jesus, everything changes because Jesus changes everything. And the little baby that's born in Bethlehem would grow up and in the name of Jesus, demons flee. Sickness disappears. Rulers and kings are brought to their knees. The lame walk and the blind see and the dead rise. It's true then and it's still true today. And it is only by the name of Jesus that we are truly saved. Nothing more, nothing less. Jesus changes everything. Amen. Together. 
And all of God's people said, Amen. And Merry Christmas, Journey Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, live stream, if you're watching, uh, we encourage you to join us online again tomorrow or join us in person tomorrow too. And if we don't see you, uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Be, tr uh, be safe if you're traveling. Uh, be careful on the roads and uh, hope you and your family have a very Merry Christmas. You guys that are here in person, we're going to finish passing these plates and then we're going to sing one more song, or two more songs actually. So feel free to sit, but we are going to stand on the last song uh, we talked about earlier tonight. So we're going to finish passing these plates and uh, we'll sing here in just a second. 